Welcome to the Church of Rocky Peaks downloadable messages and podcast. Well, good morning. Isn't that awesome? This is so great. You know, it's just exciting to see what God's doing uh, in and through our church and, and just continue to reach out and uh, kind of touch the world. And, you know, Uganda, if, if you're brand new here at Rocky Peak, Uganda is one of those areas in Africa that's like a major area of focus for us as a church. And so we're often sending teams over there. We just wanted to give you a little snapshot of the, this uh, trip we took this summer with, with worship leaders and putting on this whole worship conference. And so I uh, also want to give you a quick update just in terms of global ministries. If you're here this summer, you know that one of the things we did in our, our uh, series on generosity is we went, did, did the one-week water fast. Remember that? We raised the $24,000 uh, t- to drill uh, wells in Ethiopia for communities that have no water. And uh, I met with the uh, representative, Brian and I met uh, with the representative of uh, uh, Living Water International a couple weeks ago, and we're on track. It looks like we'll have one, one uh, well that's going to be drilled by the end of this year, and then a couple more drilled in the first half of next year. And In fact, Brian's going to Ethiopia this next year. Uh, he's uh, hopefully going to stop by and actually see those communities where those wells are being uh, drilled. So we're just excited. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's good, great news. And... Uh, one of the things that I'm just hoping, praying for is as we move into our future, God will continue to give us a heart for the world and a heart for our community. You know, next week we got Adopt a Block, some kind of our next step of reaching out to our local community here. And so I just kind of expect that to continue and to grow as God uses us to be his hands and feet around the world. So isn't that an awesome thing? This is a really, really cool thing. Yeah. Now, a uh, couple, couple announcements. Uh, first of all, uh, this Wednesday we're doing our uh, encounter service. It's here at the church, 7 o'clock, 7, 8.30. Yeah, and it's going to be a great time. And, and uh, for those of you who are new, this is uh, once a quarter, we cancel our life groups. In fact, this week there's no life group homework. We come together as a whole church on the Wednesday night, and we just seek God for whatever he's putting on our heart that particular night. And this week the focus is going to be on the Holy Spirit. Uh, as you know, that uh, we're right now in this series on the Spirit, and we wanted to have a, a chance to come together just to seek God, get our hearts right before him, and just ask God, we, we'd like a fresh anointing of your Spirit in our life to pour out on our church. Church. And so you're going to have a chance to come before God individually in a variety of ways. We'll be doing communion. We'll be doing some other things that are special things. But uh, the focus will just be on, on really seeking God and saying uh, we're, we're available. We want to be filled with your spirit in a new, fresh way. Have a chance to be prayed for and that sort of thing. Okay, so that's, that's this week. By the way, if you have kids, uh, 10 and under, we have child care for them Wednesday night. Uh, 10 and over are welcome to join us in, the, in here in the main worship center. Okay? So uh, we're going to be going to our time of teaching. Uh, my name is Mike. I'm the, the lead pastor here at uh, the Church of Rocky Peak. And, and inside your program is a, a message note sheet that we use every week for our time of teaching. So I encourage you to take that out. And uh, if you're ready to go, I'm ready to go. And so we're going to jump in. Y'all ready? All right. Let's pray together. Father, we're, just, uh, we're so thankful for what you're doing in our church and the way you're working in and through us, just changing us, uh, molding us, shaping us, teaching us. What does it mean to be a church of passionate Christ followers? We're just running hard after you and experiencing what you have for us and being used to touch the world. And so we pray that as we come today, as this kind of next step of our journey, and we, we talk about uh, idolatry, and we talk about what it is to make something other than you ultimate and, and the bondage that leads to in our life and the freedom that comes from making you the ultimate, we pray that you would be here in, in your spirit and in truth and open our eyes and just set us free to new things. We pray this in your name. Amen. Well, our story starts today about uh, 30, maybe 35 years ago, something like that, um, and she's a little girl, and, uh, and the story starts, and she's found, she just finds out that she's been adopted, and I don't know, uh, some of you have probably been adopted, and different people respond to that in a different way, but for her, it was, it was devastating. 
Um, what, what it meant to her is that her, her real parents had rejected her. And, and so from early on in her life, her big, her big fear was a fear of abandonment. And so early on, she began to respond to that. The way, the way she responded was to begin to just be a people pleaser. Like everything in her life was about pleasing people, making the people around her happy, because the last thing she wanted was for anyone else to leave her in her life. By the time she got into high school, this had become a, a significant problem in her life, and, and she, began, uh, she began dating, and she dated a young man, and she fell in love, and she thought he was the one. And, and as a result, uh, was a Friday night. She was at a football game. She was under the bleachers with him. She was supposed to be at a school play. That's what she told her parents. She's not a wild kid. It's not who she was. But because she thought he was the one and because she was afraid, she thought she would lose him that was there that night that she, she lost her virginity. Of course, the sad thing was is that they dated for a couple of years and then he did leave her. In fact, he left her for the prettiest girl on the track team. And, and it just broke her heart. And, and so this, this fear of abandonment went deeper and deeper. By the time she got into her 20s, she, she met a man that uh, she thought really was the one. And they ended up dating, getting married. But once they got married, he suddenly changed. And she started going through a tremendous emotional abuse in her life. And so for the next year, it was just, it was just kind of like hell, hell on earth in this marriage, this horrible marriage. And, and so after a year, she decided to go through the long and painful and humiliating process of getting an annulment from her church and ending that, that marriage. And so now she's in her mid-20s and going on for several years, and life is painful and life is hard, and this fear of abandonment's growing, and she meets another man, and this man quickly becomes her best friend, and he, he really is the real deal, and they, they just love being together. They, they, they love dancing together, going out, doing learning salsa dancing. They go to plays together. They work with the homeless together. They even work at the church with, with kind of the young people in their church, the youth group. And so after three years, she decides that they're, it's, it's right. They're going to get married. They get married and into the marriage, they, they have a child. And so now, though, this fear of abandonment is just kind of rising up within her. And as time goes on, she finds that she'll do anything she can to keep this marriage together. She just wants to work overtime to make sure he's always happy. There's never any problems. And so what happens as time, begins, as time goes on, she begins to become quieter and quieter. When there's conflict, she refuses to engage with that. She just wants to do everything she can to keep him happy. She's afraid of saying something or doing something that will cause him to leave. But as the years go on, as this becomes a higher and higher priority, kind of a top priority in life, keep him happy so he won't leave, the what happens is she's moving more and more into bondage. She's losing herself in the process. She's losing her voice. And so it's actually backfiring. The whole, the whole strategy is backfiring. And, and so as time's going on, the bondage is increasing. She's losing herself until very recently when God began to speak into her life and show her a new path, a path that would lead to freedom, not only for her, but for her husband and for their marriage. Well, today we're, uh, we're continuing this series that we've been in for a while now. It's called Freedom, and for those of you who are new, I want to welcome you. We're just so glad you're here. Uh, I also want to take just a second and bring you up to speed. Um, th- this series uh, is a study of a letter from a man named the Apostle Paul to some churches that he and his ministry partner, a man named Barnabas, had recently started in the Roman province of Galatia. So we call it the letter to the Galatians. That, that was kind of like modern-day Turkey would be where this, this, uh, these cities were located. 
And uh, in this letter, what he's talking about is, is the freedom that comes into our life when we give our lives to Jesus. And we've just recently entered into the second phase of this series in Galatians, which is all about the work of the Holy Spirit, how when we come to Jesus, his Spirit comes into our life to begin to set us free, and, and that the key to our freedom and moving into greater freedom in our life is learning to listen to the voice and the leading of the Holy Spirit as, 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 uh, as opposed to listening to kind of the, the desires of our fallen human nature that leads us to destruction. And so what he's doing is we're coming today to chapter 5, and in chapter 5, the Apostle Paul, just to make sure we're clear on this, he's giving us two long lists of here's what it looks like when you're following the leadership of the Holy Spirit in your life, and here's what looks like when you're following the leadership of your old fallen nature in your life, which will lead to destruction. And so last week we started kind of unpacking this first list. He calls it the works of the uh, sinful or the acts of the sinful nature. And, uh, and it's 15 items on the list. Last week we looked at the first three, which dealt with what we call destructive sexuality. Uh, today we're, we're moving on to the next two items on the list, which deal with um, fallen spirituality. Okay? So if you have your Bibles, uh, turn with me to uh, uh, Galatians chapter 5, and we'll pick it up at verse 13. Galatians 5 and verse 13 said, uh, you, my brothers, have been called to be free. And so, of course, that's the topic of the whole letter. We're called as Christ followers in this new freedom that Jesus came, and, uh, came to, to die to give us. And so um, in verse 16, he tells us the key to this freedom. He says, so I say, live by the Spirit. Remember, we, we've talked about this verse a couple times. In the Greek, it literally says to walk by the Spirit. In other words, to follow the leading of the Spirit in your life. And then you will not gratify the desires of the, the sinful nature, what we're calling the dark side, uh, kind of this, this fallen nature with this pull towards things which is destructive. So we're called to freedom. The key to the freedom is following the leading of the Spirit in our life who's come into our life when we gave our life to Christ. Okay. Now in verse 19, he begins to give us his first list and spell out what the, follow, the dark side looks like. And he says the acts of the sinful nature or the dark side are obvious. And, and we looked at the first three last week, sexual morality, impurity, and debauchery. And then today we come to the second set, kind of this, uh, the fallen spirituality. And he gives us two examples, idolatry and witchcraft. So, so what, here's what Paul's saying. Is it in the heart of the human race that when we rebelled against God, there's something went wrong in our, in our human nature, and now we have a magnetic pull to the dark side. And that spiritually, that, that a couple ways that that shows up is we are created in God's image, right? So we have this hunger for God, and yet we've rejected the true God, and so what we do is we pursue other gods, uh, kind of gods in our own image, and that's what would be like idolatry, uh, or we pursue supernatural experiences, but sometimes on the dark side, even like witchcraft. So let's talk real quickly about these two words before we dive in. Uh, first word, uh, idolatry. Uh, this word in the Greek is just kind of the normal word for idolatry. So it's what you think of. It's going to pagan temples. It's bowing down before idols. It's offering sacrifices to idols, those kinds of things, all right? But as we'll see today, it's much broader than that. Is right. We'll come back to this later, but it's, it's, it, that's kind of what the word normally means, but there's kind of a, a core meaning that goes much broader. We'll talk about that more later. The second word that he uses is the word witchcraft. Now, this is a very interesting word. Uh, the word in the Greek is the word pharmakeia, and it's where we get our word pharmacy from. And so originally, it was a good word. It just referred to the use of drugs or herbs to treat, uh, you know, to treat illness. But over time, it began to morph, as words often do, and, and, and began to morph into the use of drugs or, uh, or herbs to poison somebody. 
Okay, And so then, then it morphed again, and it became the use of drugs or herbs as part of an occult practice, uh, the casting of spells on someone to, to hurt them. Are, are you with me on this? So, so, uh, so it becomes uh, a pharmakeia stands for witchcraft, the occult, the dark side, you know, uh, sorcery, that type of thing. Okay, so here's what we're going to do. Today, most of our time, we're going to be focused on idolatry because I think for most of us that has probably wider application than, than, the, than the witchcraft thing. But um, I do want to do a quick sidebar here on this so we just don't miss it. What, what Paul is saying with this whole year of witchcraft is that as the human race, we have a hunger for the supernatural, right? That we were created for a hunger for the supernatural. And that because we've rejected God, one of the ways that that, ex- that, that kind of reveals itself is a hunger for the supernatural to experience, even if it means going to the dark side, to experience it. So if you go around the world today, you'll see that throughout history around the world today, it's very common. Like Hades in the news a lot, right? All the voodoo that happens down there. Uh, you think of, uh, I know a lot of people from Brazil, and they'll talk about kind of a mixture of, of uh, kind of uh, uh, witchcraft and Christianity and weird things that happen down there. Some of you have been involved in Mexico. There's a lot of that that goes on uh, there. Around the world, this is very common. But even in our own culture, we see this increasing attraction to it, don't we? And so, so we got our... We we got Ouija boards, and we got seances, and we got TV shows like The Medium, and we've got uh, astral projection, we've got crystals, we've got kind of mystic new age, we've, we've got all these things that are kind of the dark side type of things, right? And so what Paul is saying is, I want you to be clear on this, this is from the dark side, right? That, that as, as Christ followers, we are not to mess with this stuff of trying to experience supernatural experiences that come not from Jesus, not from the Holy Spirit, that come from the dark side. And this is really important because what, I, what I've experienced over my life is that many times I'll be surprised, but I'll talk with Christ followers and they'll mention things like, oh yeah, I was reading my horoscope for the day, you know? Uh, I'm a Pisces, I'm a Libra, you know, and and so what Paul is saying is, no, no, that is dark side stuff, that's not light side, that is dark side, and so the Bible is consistent on this all the way through, that there really is an unseen realm, that this unseen demonic realm is extremely real, that we have a very real enemy, that as Christ followers, we, we crossed over from the dark side to the light side when we became followers of Jesus, and we should have nothing to do with this in, in our life, because when we do, it opens us up to demonic oppression in our life. Are you with me in this? So as believers, uh, we shouldn't be messing with Ouija boards, you know? Uh, don't read your horoscope every day. Read your Bible every day, you know? You know your, 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 sign, your, your sign is not Capricorn. Your sign is Jesus, right? So that we've got a sign now, and that's, that's all old world stuff. That is all dark side stuff. Don't mess with that stuff. You open up yourself to attack from the demonic with that stuff. So are we clear on that? Okay, good. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> We're done with that. All right, so that's, that's the witchcraft. So I want to be clear on that. But the side that we are going to be talking about today is, is idolatry. Now, I feel like we need some time to unpack this because I think for most of us, when we think of idolatry, the first thing we think of is kind of bowing down the worship of idols, that sort of thing. And of course, you know, probably most of us here, that's not a big temptation in our life right now. And so, um, so we need to expand that out and understand what idolatry is all about. And I think the best way to do that, there, there's a passage of scripture in the Bible from the Apostle Paul that's probably the best passage on idolatry in all the Bible, and it's in Romans chapter 1. So I want you to, I'm going to start our study by going to Romans 1, 
And, and there in your note sheet, there's a section called idolatry, the core sin of the human race. And so we want to unpack this to make sure we're clear on what idolatry is just to get started, uh, and, and then we'll begin to get more practical later on. So let's go to Romans 1. Now, uh, you may know this, but the book of Romans, it's a letter to the church of Rome. And, and in this uh, letter, Paul, more than any other place in the Bible, he lays out the spiritual story of the human race. And he explains how, as a race, we rebelled against our creator. And, and as a result, we lost contact with him. We went to the dark side. And as a result, there's a judgment in our, on our life. Uh, there's, a, there's a judgment. There's a condemnation on our life. And yet, in spite of that rebellion, God has loved us and sent Christ in order to pay the price for that rebellion so that we could come back and be restored to our creator. So that's kind of the message of Romans. So in chapter 1, Paul's starting to explain the story of the human race in verse 18. Up to that point, it's really more just introduction. And so in verse 18, here's how he describes the story of the human race. He says, the wrath of God, now catch that, that's the, like the, the anger of God, okay? So, so God hates all that's evil, uh, all that's corrupt, all that's polluted, all that destroys. And, and, and so that's what we call the wrath of God, his holiness, uh, his hatred of what's evil, and so he says, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men. Now he's looking back at the history of the human race, okay? That's what he's doing. So he's looking back in human history. He says, God's wrath is being revealed in history against the human race um, because we suppress the truth by our wickedness. Okay, so that's what God is angry about, that we have suppressed the truth. Well, truth about what? Well, verse 19, since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain. So God is angry with the human race because though we knew the truth about who he is, that we've rejected that truth. And then he goes on, he says, for since the creation of the world you know, the beginning of time, God's invisible qualities, okay? Like, for example, his eternal power, like how amazingly brilliant and powerful he is, and, and his divine nature, like his character, what he's like, right and wrong, that sort of thing, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, notice about through the creation, so that men are without excuse. So what Paul says, you look at the history of the human race, that, that from the very beginning, God revealed certain truth about himself. Just by looking at this incredible creation, picture Yosemite, you go and you say, it's like whoever made this was pretty brilliant, Right? Like, like you, if you come across something and you find an incredibly uh, 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 intricate machine, you say, whoever made this is brilliant. Wait, when, you, when, you, when you drive into Yosemite, uh, he says that, that unless you've been taught otherwise, right, you're going to say, whoever made this is brilliant, right? And whoever made this is powerful. And there's a sense of God's goodness and, and what's right and wrong built into the human race. He says, but, but what happened is as a race, we rejected that knowledge because of the responsibility that came with it. And so, verse uh, 21, for although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God, like they didn't give, give him credit, nor did they give thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. So he says, this is the, this is the spiritual history of the human race, that, that God reveals himself, he's made himself plain through, through, uh, through creation, through our conscience, in chapter 2 he talks about our conscience, but, but we didn't want to know, we didn't want to see that truth, we didn't want to deal with that truth, and so we turned away from from the truth, and when you turn away from the truth, it opens you up to the lie. 
right? It's like when you reject the truth in your life, then you're open up to deception and to the light. And so he says, when we did that, as a race, we became foolish, right? And so then he goes on. And uh, he says, for although they knew God, verse 21, they, they neither glorified him nor gave thanks, but their thinking became futile. Their foolish hearts were darkened, kind of the lights went out spiritually. And then he says, although they claimed to be wise, uh, they became what? Fools. So they became what? Fools. Now, the word in Greek is where we get our word moron from. <laughs> um, I, I was thinking about that. And I was thinking about our current age, right? So you look at this creation that's out there, and it's just amazing, right? It's, it's amazing complex. And the more we learn scientifically, the, the more we learn that this, this world, uh, it, it's just it's an amazing place. There's like something like 39 variables or something like that, that if any one of them was off just a little bit, this world would not exist. A cre- you know, life could not exist, right? And so it doesn't matter whether you're looking at the macro level of the universe, the cosmos, or the micro level of uh, subatomic particles. I mean, this universe is incredible. It's fine-tuned for, for life, right? And so we look at that as a culture, and we say, how did this incredible uh, incredible thing happened, and we say, oh, here, here's the answer. It was billions of years of trillions of accidents. That's our answer, okay? That's moron, right? All right, so there's an example. Okay, so here we go. So verse 23, and so we exchanged the glory of the immortal God, and, and of course, we claim to be very wise in the process, right? right? It'll be okay if we just admitted we're morons, but... Um, <clears throat> So although they, they claimed to be wise, they became morons in their verse 23, and they exchanged the glory of the immortal God. Okay, so we, we traded out God. We traded him in on a different model. And here's the model we got. We got images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. So he's talking about idolatry, right? And so as you study the history of the human race, you see Paul is exactly right on that it doesn't matter what ancient culture you go back to, you look at the history of the human race, as far as you go back, you're going to find idols. You're going to find moon gods back in Ur. You're going to find, uh, you're, you're going to go to into Egypt, and you're going you're to find the sun god and all their different gods. You're going to go to Babylon, and you're going to find Marduk, and you're going to find all these different gods. You go to Greece, you, you got, you know, Zeus and, and Aphrodite and so on. You got uh, Rome, they changed the names to protect the innocent, you know, Jupiter, Mars, whatever. And so uh, you, you, what you see in the history of the human race is a history of, of idolatry, right? And so we reject the true God, the Yosemite-making creator God, and we come up with this new idea that all these uh, other gods that, are, uh, that we worship and bow down to that are made out of stone and, and, and uh, gold and silver and stuff, that, that these are the gods who created the universe, right? And they, they run the universe, and so that's moronic, uh, Paul says. And Paul says, what, what happened is this is what happened. When you reject the true God, it opens you up to lie, and it leads to idolatry. And so then if you go to verse uh, 25, he sums it up this way, and this is really the heart of a heart of idolatry. We'll be unpacking this verse today. They exchange the truth of God for a lie. And so that's what idolatry really is. It's when we reject the truth about God and we create gods in our own image. We, okay? And then he goes on, he says, and they, they worship and serve created things rather than the creator. And so that too is idolatry. We take something in creation and we make it the ultimate and we worship it instead of the creator. Okay? So, so here's what we're going to do. Today we want to talk about idolatry and our our lives and, and the dark side, how we all have this dark side. 
and how it's a temptation, how the Spirit wants to lead us to freedom and lead us out of idolatry into the freedom that comes from the worship of the true God. But, but to, to get at this, what I want to do is take this verse from Romans 125, and I want to break it down. I want to make two statements about counterfeit gods, just to make sure we understand how idolatry works, like what idolatry is about, because we can't really apply it to our own life until we're clear on this, okay? So there in your note sheet, you have a section called Counterfeit Gods, uh, Understanding Idolatry. And, and I want to make just two simple statements. It takes Romans 125, breaks it down, uh, and, and then talk about how this works out in our life for each one. Number one, the, the first statement is that idolatry is creating God in our own image. Okay? Th- this is at the core that idolatry happens when we reject the truth about God and, and we create new gods. But these gods are always in our image, right? Because we, we reject the true God because we don't want to be responsible to him. So we create these new gods that kind of let us do what we want. That They kind of agree with us on everything. And so that what happens now is we're really worshiping a larger version of ourself. You see what happens? And so... Um, so, so Paul says this is what happens. We reject the truth about God. It opens us up to, to worship these other gods in our own image. Now, the interesting thing is, in the New Testament, the Bible says it actually goes deeper than this, that this whole concept of idolatry in the human race, that actually, that, that not only uh, did that flow out of our lives, it actually flowed from Satan himself, that, that there's a demonic uh, spiritual force behind uh, idolatry. And so, for example, there in your note sheet, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, um, Paul is writing to the Corinthians. And, of course, the Corinthians had come to Christ uh, out of a pagan culture. And, and so they, they had been used to worshiping uh, Aphrodite. They were used to worshiping Zeus and these kind of different gods, going to the temple, doing the sacrifices. So now they've come to Jesus, and Paul's writing and saying, okay, you, you can't do that anymore. You can't go to pagan temples anymore. You can't be worshiping other gods. And so in verse Corinthians 10, he puts it this way. He says, do I mean that a sacrifice offered to an idol is anything or that an idol is anything? And, of course, the answer is no, right? Because there's only one God. These idols aren't real gods. He says, but the, uh, the sacrifices of pagans are offered to what? Demons. Let's say it again. They're offered to what? To demons. Okay? So, so Paul says, behind idolatry is a demonic scheme. Now, I want you to catch this. Satan doesn't care how you go wrong in your life, right? Like, he, he doesn't care. Like, for example, you could be a wild child. You're, 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 partying, you're partying every week. Uh, you're getting high. Uh, you're having sex uh, like indiscriminately. And so you're far from God, right? Uh, he's happy with that, right? Satan's happy with that. He is equally happy with that if he can get you to buy into a false spirituality, because if you, if you buy into a false spirituality, he keeps you away from the true God, who alone is the source of your salvation and freedom, right? So, so Satan doesn't really care whether you're a wild child or you're a religious good kid, as long as he keeps you away from Jesus, right? And so, so Satan understands this about the human race, that when we rebelled against God, we have a deep need for spirituality, and so Satan isn't going to just sit there on the sidelines and let that develop on its own. He's going to throw out some suggestions. 
How, how about if we meet it this way? And what Paul is saying is idolatry is one of those suggestions that behind the worship of idols, there is a spiritual force, a satanic force that's kind of driving that. Are you with me in this? Okay, so, so, uh, so idolatry is creating gods in our own image. One way that happens is through the literal worship of idols, historically. But I want you to catch this. It goes much beyond that. That Satan is not content there. Satan wants to create any other religious systems that take you away from the true God. Like, like, uh, help help me out here. Like, how many gods are there in the world? It's not a difficult question. Some of you are like, hey, this is a trick question. Like, I'm not going to say, I'm going to wait and see what everyone says. Okay. Okay, now, now that you know the right answer, how many gods are there? One God. Okay, this is one of the big truths of the Bible. Like Isaiah, I am the only God, there is no other God, right? Okay, one of the big, there's, there's one God, all right? So are you with me in this, that anyone who comes along and tells you a story about other gods or tells you a story about the true God that's a false story, are you with me in this? This is a lie. This is deceptive. This is leading us away. It's not a good thing. Now, now I realize that we live in the midst of a culture today that, that is politically very correct on this. And so the, the right answer is there, there, there are many gods. There are many paths. They're all one name for the same God. I want to be clear that, that Jesus says, no, that's not true, right? There is only one God, and his name is not Allah, <laughs> right? right. Uh, his name is not uh, uh, what else is this? His, his, his name is not Vishnu, right? Um, that uh, that his, his prophet isn't uh, Joseph Smith, right? So, so I, I realize this is unpopular today, but as Christ followers, it's important for us to get this. There is only one God. And, and anytime we create a religious system that misrepresents or creates a different God, that's not from the bright side. That's not from the spirit. That's from the dark side. Okay? And so the Apostle Paul talks about this in 2 Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians, they're new Christ followers, right? They're following Jesus, but they're these new false teachers who come into town who start kind of wanting to change the message of Jesus, to alter it, right? And so Paul says, hey, that, these guys aren't from God, they're from Satan. So, the, so there in your note, note sheet, in first, uh, 2 Corinthians 11, Paul says, for such men are what? They're false apostles, okay? So like Muhammad is not a true apostle, right? He's a false apostle. Uh, Joseph Smith is not a true uh, apostle. He is a false apostle. Are you with me in this? Anything that takes us away from the true God is creating gods in our own image, and the end result is bondage. We, We lose the freedom that Jesus came to give us. So he says, for such men are false apostles, they're deceitful workmen, they're masquerading as apostles of Christ, and no wonder, for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. I mean, that Satan creates false spiritualities that, that appear to be light. He masquerades because he wants to destroy us, okay? So, so here's what Paul wants us to understand is deep in the heart of the human race that we have, we have a dark side, and you have it and I have it, and this dark side, there's a natural gravitational magnetic pull to create God in our image. So are you with me in this? That, that you have it and that I have it. 
Like the Holy Spirit's come into our life. He's going to lead us to truth. But every one of us in this room, we have a dark side. And that dark side is going to try to pull us to create God in our own image. And so what we do is we take a little bit of Jesus and we mix in a little bit with what our parents told us. We mix in a little bit what our traditions told us. We might mix in with a little bit of our culture. And we create this God. And then we call, we call him Jesus. He's really not Jesus. You see, it's like, it's like a, a false Jesus. And we all have this tendency to do that. We have to be aware of this. Now, um, uh, let me ask you a key question. Okay? Th- this will help kind of get to the issue of idolatry, go to the core of it. Uh, in your life, I want you to do some self-evaluation here. Now, uh, and this is not a raising a hand type, right? This is for you. But here's a, question, here's a key question for your life. Is that in your life, when you come across something in the teaching in the Bible, Okay, so something that Jesus has said, something that his designated teachers, the apostles, have said, something that the Holy Spirit has inspired in the Word of God. And when you come across something in the Bible that you don't like, what do you do? See, there's really only two options. One option is to change our opinions and change our actions so that we line up with the Word of God. The other option is to change Jesus so he agrees with us. Are you with me in this? There's really only two options, and you tell me the answer to that, I can tell you the answer to the issue of idolatry in your life, right? So, so for example, let, let me give you an example. Like, um, like today, um, you know, we're followers of Jesus, and I think one of the things that, that we all love about Jesus is his, his kindness, his compassion, right? I mean, we love that about it. His grace, his kindness, and compassion. I'm all over that. You know, I, just, I mean, he's captured my heart from that, that kindness, that grace, that compassion in my life, right? But, but do you know that the Bible also talks about the wrath of Jesus, right? Like, like the, last, the last, uh, last book of the Bible, we, we learn how the story ends. And here's, here's the picture we have of Jesus in, in, Romans, uh, in Revelation 19. Jesus is on this huge stallion, like just kind of white horse. He, he's got this awesome sword coming out of his mouth. His clothes are all bloody, He's got a tattoo on his side, and he is angry. And he's angry at a world that at the end of time has so rejected him, so polluted, has become so evil. And we're told that he's riding back, that he is going to, uh, he's going to tread out the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God. Now, let me ask you something. Is that your Jesus? Right? You see, like, for a lot of us, it's like, oh, no, no, my Jesus is the woman caught in adultery. That's, that's my Jesus. You know, it's like, I love how he's just so compassionate. Well, I'm telling you, Jesus has two sides to him, right? And, and, and I tell you what, we need both sides. We need both sides, right? And when you only buy into one side, you, you lose your freedom. Um, you know, we... Uh, Jesus says uh, that, that I am the way and I'm the truth and I'm the life. There is no other way. There's only one God and, and I'm it. And, and so you can't have other gods. You can't come to God another way because there's only one and I'm it. <laughs> so just by definition, that's the way it works. And, and so we live in a culture that says, no, we want to believe there's all these different ways. And you can choose your way and you can make out your way. And you can do the Oprah way or you can mix in this way or whatever. You, know. you can create your own way, Right? And, and we, we don't want anyone to be wrong. We want everyone to be right. 
And Jesus says, I'm sorry that spiritual truth is like any other kind of truth. There's right and there's wrong. And I'm right and everything else is wrong. Right? And so how do we respond to that? Uh, last week we talked about the issue of sexual uh, immorality. And, and you come to Jesus and Jesus says, hey, this is a serious issue. You've got to follow me. If you're not following me in this, you're not a follower. Let's just put it out there, you know, like just straightforward. And you go, well, well I want to follow Jesus, but I, I'm not, I don't want to give that up. And so I, I think my Jesus, my Jesus is okay with this. You see? You see what we do? It's like that's idolatry, isn't it? And here's the thing, when we, when we worship our own gods, what we're worshiping is ourself. It's like we're just worshiping, my God is just a reflection of me. And what happens, you worship you, you got problems, right? And, and it's going to lead to bondage in your life. And so the first thing that we do, uh, need to understand about idolatry is idolatry is when we create gods in our own image, okay? There's a second side to it, though, that Paul says in this verse in Romans 1, and the second side goes like this, that I, um, idolatry is making something else our ultimate in life. It's making something else other than God our, our ultimate in life. So one manifestation of, of idolatry is we create gods in our own image. The other one is we make something other than God the ultimate value in our life. To use Paul's language, we make something in creation more important than the creator, okay? So Romans 1.25, I printed on your note sheet there just so we, we'd be quick. It says, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. That's kind of creating God's in our own image. And then they worshiped and served created things rather than the creator. And so, so this really is the heart of idolatry. The heart of idolatry, idolatry is we find something else in creation, a person, an experience, a possession, whatever it is, and we make that thing our ultimate value in life. This is what makes life worth living, and, and, and we put it over pleasing God, that this becomes the most important thing in our life. And Paul says when that happens, we're worshiping the creation over the creator, and that is the heart of idolatry. Now, he gives us a great example of this in Colossians chapter 3, and I put it there on your note sheet. He says, uh, Paul writes to these Christians, he says, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, kind of your fallen, uh, dysfunctional human nature, okay? And he gives us five examples, uh, sexual morality, impurity, lust, we saw those last week. He throws in a broad category, evil desires, you know, kind of a pull towards the dark side that destroys us. And then he says, and, and the last one, the last example is what? Greed, you see that? Greed, and then he says, uh, of course, greed's all about you know, the accumulation of possessions, money, and that sort of thing. He says, which is what? Idolatry. See that? So, so here, what Paul is helping us to understand is idolatry is bigger than just uh, 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 kind of bowing down before an idol, right? That idolatry happens when we take anything in creation and we make it our ultimate source of meaning in life. Like, this is what gives me meaning. This is what gives me life. This is what gives me fulfillment. That instead of worshiping the creator, we worship the creation in some form. There is a, a great quote uh, in preparing for this series. Uh, one of the, the books I read was a commentary just on Galatians 5, these works of the flesh, works uh, uh, fruit of the spirit. It was by a guy named William Barclay, who was uh, kind of a very famous uh, uh, New Testament scholar from the last century. Um, and and uh, just a, kind of an expert in kind of uh, uh, Roman and Greek history and that sort of thing, uh, culture. And uh, this is what he, he commented on Galatians 5, on this list of idolatry. Here's his comment. He says, this kind of idolatry still exists for basically this kind of idolatry is the worship of things instead of the worship of God. 
So a man's God may rightly be said to be that which he dedicates his time, his substance, he means like his financial resources, and his talents, that to which he gives himself. Whenever anything in the world, okay, uh, and I would add any person as well, anything or person, um, begins to hold that principal place in our hearts uh, and minds and aims, then that thing has become an idol. Okay, so catch anything, anything holds the principal place in our heart. So the way I put it is whatever is our first love, whatever is our deepest passion, whatever is our highest priority, that is the God of our life. Okay, and then he goes on and says uh, that thing has become an idol for, uh, for that thing has usurped the place of, that belongs to God. Okay, so, so here's, what, here's what happens. In the history of the human race, God creates us for himself. Like you and I, we were created for relationship with him. And he was to be uh, our our greatest source of joy uh, and fulfillment and purpose and peace. That's how we're designed. Like, Like a car is designed to run on gasoline unless it's a hybrid we are designed to run on God, okay? And so what happens is, is when we reject God as the true God, we, we turn to creation, but we're still spiritual beings. Like, we, we still have this need in our life, this vacuum. And so what happens is we begin to look for something in creation to fulfill the need for the creator. Are you with me? A uh, couple guys kind of had a good handle on this. Uh, St. Augustine, there in your note sheet, it's on the back of your note sheet, I think. Um, he, he put it this way in, the year, in about year 400, you know, one of the great uh, early church fathers. Uh, here, here was a guy, Augustine was a wild living guy. He was a party, uh, partier, uh, uh, you know, uh, sleeping around sort of guy. And then, and then God got a hold of him and he became one of the most brilliant leaders in church history. And, and he said, um, this is how he describes it. He says, thou hast made us for thyself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee. Okay? Uh, Blaise Pascal, the brilliant French mathematician and philosopher, Catholic guy in the 1600s, he put it like this, the next quote, there's a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of every man, catch this, which cannot be filled by any created thing. See? But only by God the what? The creator. See, as Paul said, and, and it made known through, through Jesus. And so, so here's what happens in our life is that as we, we come into this world, we're just hardwired for idolatry. And so what we do is we begin going through life looking for, for that person, that, that experience, that play, whatever that's going to satisfy that need. And so this looks different in different people, right? Like we don't all worship the same gods. Like, like we have different gods in our life. So for some people, for example, their god is people. And so, so what they believe deep in their life, that the idol that they worship is certain people, that if I could just meet the right boyfriend, if I could meet the right girlfriend, if I could, if I could fall in love, if I could, could find the right husband, if I could find the right uh, wife, if, if I could have a family someday, if I could have my kids around me. You know? And this becomes our vision, like this, this is our ticket to happiness. And so this becomes our God. Right? And we'll sacrifice uh, obedience to God in order to get this thing because we truly believe that this will make us happy. Right? For, other, for other people, it's possessions. And we've all known people like that. Maybe you're wired this way. That you, just, you just have this natural uh, kind of drive to, to accumulate stuff. And so it's just always the next thing. You know, it's, it's, it's that car. It's, it's that motorcycle. Uh, it's that house. It's that boat. 
It's that uh, cabin in the hill. It's, it's shoes. You know, obviously not one of my idols. But, uh, but for some of you ladies, for some of you ladies, you know what I'm talking about. You know, you worship at the Shrine of Nordstrom's. And so uh, it's like, we got to get those, you know. So we, we all have our thing, right? We, we all have this, hey, if we could just get that thing. And, and for some of us, getting that amount of money and the water, you know, that's it. Uh, for others of us, it's popularity. It's being in the right crowd. It's, it's attaining the right social circle. It's being part of the right clubs. It's, you know, for others, it's power or, or success or position. If I could rise in the company, if I could just get that college, if I could get that degree and then get that job and then rise to that position and to get that kind of power. And so, so in the history of the world, power has been one of the biggest gods of the human race, right? That, that's, that's the story behind war right? It's this lust for power uh, and control. For others, it's certain pursuits, and they can be really varied. It could be a scuba diving. You know, I live for scuba diving. It could be as crazy, uh, off-road motorcycling. That's what I I live for. It could be education that that I live to learn. It could be a noble cause, like I I live to stamp out HIV, or or I want to clean up the environment, and that's my cause. But are you with me in this? We find something in creation that we think will solve the need for a creator. But the sad thing is, is that the creation can never satisfy the the desire, the need we have for the creator. It just can't. Here's the thing. Creation makes great gifts. It makes lousy gods. Okay? Uh, that, That young lady who makes... That boyfriend, her God, that God, uh, he, he, may, he might be a great gift, but he's going to be a lousy God. You, know, the, the, you make another person your God, in the end, you're going to be disappointed because they do not have the capacity to satisfy the deepest desires of the human heart. The incredible gift, yes. God, no. Right? And in fact, if you make another person your God, you make your kids your God, you know what's going to happen? Well, here's what's going to happen. They're not going to satisfy that deepest need of your heart, and you're going to put so much pressure on them to make you happy, you're going to destroy your relationship with your kids. You see? You make possession your God, and you're going to find out you always need one more thing, don't you? It's like you get the thing, and it really does satisfy you for a short amount of time but then it wears off. We've all experienced this, right? The cool thing you got to have, and then two weeks later, a year later, it's like, what's this stupid thing, garage sale time, right? right. Why'd I ever buy this? You, know? um, you make, you make uh, possessions your God, and you turn into a greedy person, and now your possessions own you. It, it doesn't matter what the created thing is. You make creation your God, and, and it, will, it will destroy your life. You see? It will not satisfy you. And so here's what Paul is saying. As Christ's followers, we've come alive spiritually. As Christ's followers, the spell has been broken. And you remember this. When you first came to Jesus, there was this new sense of, this is what I've been looking for my whole life, right? That It's like, oh, it wasn't the person. It wasn't the position. It wasn't the possession. It wasn't the pursuit. It wasn't the power. It wasn't the pleasure. That's not it. There's something more, and I found it. I found it, right? You remember that. And so when we come to Jesus, there's this new awareness that this is what life is about. This can satisfy me. But what Paul is saying is, but there's still a dark side. 
And that dark side is always going to be luring us back as we walk with Jesus. And, and we're always going to be like, but this will make you happy. And, this, and so there's this struggle that goes on between flesh and spirit, between idolatry, like who's the ultimate in our life? Are you with me in this? Okay, so, so for example, we started the day with a story of this, this young girl who's adopted and, and, and the, the, the trajectory of her life as she makes pleasing others her top goal in life because her biggest fear is the fear of abandonment and how it takes her through uh, this, this bad relationship at high school. The pain of that takes her through her first marriage. Now she's in her second marriage and she's living increasingly just to please her husband and to make him happy. Now let me be clear, if we're married, pleasing your spouse is a good thing, right? But it's not the ultimate thing. Your spouse is not your ultimate. And if you make your spouse your ultimate, it leads to bondage. Right? There's one who's ultimate, and that's our Father in heaven, that pleasing him. And so, so anyway, so she's beginning to lose her freedom. And, and, and it, over time, it's become more and more. And so last weekend, last weekend, God's beginning to break through in her life. And God's beginning to show her, this is what's happened. You've made pleasing your husband your ultimate in life. He's become an idol, and you'll never be set free while you're pursuing that. And so she writes me an email last Saturday night after the service. Remember last week was on the whole sexual purity thing. And she says, um, and by the way, I, I, I not only asked her permission on this, but I got permission of her husband as well. I just want to make sure everyone's good with this email. But uh, they're both excited to share it, what God's doing in their life. So she said, Mike, powerful message tonight. Uh, I'm, I'm currently going through Celebrate Recovery, and I'm trying to go really deep into the 12-step study. In a short period of time, I'm, it's becoming increasingly clear. I'm beginning to see some of my major hang-ups and, and habits. I'm beginning to realize that a part of me made an idol out of pleasing my husband, no matter the cost. And so my biggest heart's desire for this past decade has, has been these thoughts in my head. What can I do to make sure he's in a good mood today? What can I do differently so he's joyful and happy? What can I do to feel loved so I'm not perceived as a liability to this person in my life? And so she goes on to talk about how this line of thinking, making him the ultimate, has led to some bad spiritual decisions in her life. And so at the end she says, I'm facing this battle head on, Mike. I truly believe that with Jesus, he will help me see this truth and the shackles will fall from the bondage of this sick idol of wanting to please my, my husband more than my heavenly father. My heart really wants to love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. I'm seeing now how my actions were deceiving myself and I'm working on taking each thought captive and to work on keeping in step with the Spirit. Did you catch that? Now here's what I want you to catch. As followers of Jesus, you have a dark sight, Right? We keep coming back to this series. The dark side is going to constantly be drawing you away to seek your ultimate fulfillment in life through a person, through a pleasure, through a pursuit, through power, through possessions. And it's constantly going to be there. And the Holy Spirit, the good news, the Holy Spirit's within you. He's beginning to open your eyes when you come to Christ. And the Holy Spirit's always going to be there leading you away, saying, that's not the path to freedom. That's the path to bondage. Follow me. I'll show you the way. You see? And so the issue is, will we follow? You know, will, will we trust him and, and will we allow him to lead us into increasing freedom? Because I'm telling you something, there is freedom when you lay down your idols. That when we lay down our idols, we come alive. It's like this is what I was created for. Like when God becomes the ultimate, that, that this is what we, and there is a freedom that's unbelievable when we lay down our idols. But not until, you see? And so the spirit will lead us there. I was thinking about this week, and, and I want to finish with this. Um, you know, the nation of Israel, 
Um, they come out of Egypt, right? God meets them at Mount Sinai, reveals himself, invites them to relationship, much like a marriage ceremony. He says, I want to be your God. I want you to be my people. And he says, but if we're going to do this, I'm going to lay out the terms of our relationship, kind of the rules of our relationship. We call that the Ten Commandments. It's kind of the, the ten rules of relationship. And so the first rule is you'll have no other gods before me. Like, I know you've come out of Egypt. You've had all these other gods. No other gods. I'm your top love. I'm your, I'm your first love. I, if I'm going to marry you, I want you I, uh, you're going to be my first love. I want you to be my first love. Okay, so, uh, and then he said, the second, second most important thing is no idols. I don't want any representation of who I am because any idol that you make is going to limit me and misrepresent who I am. And so, I don't want that happening. And so, they're, they're, they're all in. They're excited about this. In fact, they're in love with this new God. And so, they, they do a covenant. They do a ceremony, much like a, a marriage. And so, they, they start off the relationship relationship. He's their first love. He's their, their deepest passion. He's their highest priority. It starts off, and he loves them. But, but see, they're fallen human beings, aren't they? And so as fallen human beings, what happens is there's this pull towards idolatry. And so the history of Israel is this, this rubber band back and forth pull of idolatry. And so when it gets to the time of Jeremiah, which is 700 years later, he's calling them back. And he, in chapter 2, he says, hey, remember how it was when you came out of Egypt in the wilderness? God says, remember, it was like, like we were lovers and, and we had only eyes for one another. But now you're running after these other gods and your lives are falling apart as a result. And in that context, he says this. There in your note sheet. Here's what God says. He says, uh, Israel, has the nation ever changed its gods? You know, you've come out of Egypt. You know their gods. You're going, you, know, you know about Babylon. Does anyone ever change their gods? The answer, of course, is no. He says, yet they're, no, they're not gods at all. But my people have exchanged their glory, right? And it's interesting. This is the verse the Apostle Paul is quoting in Romans chapter 1, where he, remember he said they exchanged their glory to, to, to worship things in the form. This is the verse that he's quoting. He says, my people have exchanged their glory for worthless idols. They've committed two sins, made two big mistakes. Number one, they've forsaken me, the spring of living water. Okay, the only one who can satisfy the deepest thirst of the human heart. And he says, and, and then they've dug their own cisterns, right? Their own gods. Their own, they're going to satisfy their thirst another way, these reservoirs uh, that collect the kind of uh, rainwater and that sort of thing. And, but they're broken cisterns that can't hold water. So he says they, they've made two mistakes. They've left me, the only one who can satisfy. They've run after these idols, these reservoirs. They go there to get a drink. They take the cover off. And, and when they're dying of thirst and they're broken and they're, they're empty, the water's out of them. They, they can never satisfy, you see. And, and so this is what Paul is saying about idolatry, that, that you and I, as fallen people, we have a pull to the dark side. But the Spirit is within us. He's telling us the truth. He's leading us to the freedom that Jesus came to get. And if you will let him, the Holy Spirit will come alongside of you, and he will identify if there are any idols in your life at the current time that are keeping you from moving into the freedom that Jesus died to give you. And so the only question then is do we keep in step with the Spirit or do we hold on to our idol? Let's pray. You know, as we bring our service to a close, um, I want to give you a chance to, to respond. And I realize there's two kinds of people here. There's people that have given their life to Christ before, people who haven't. And so I want to start with those of you, our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, that you've, you've never given your life to Christ. But 
for whatever reason, today's your day. You're just, you're hungry for God. You're sick of your idols. You're identified with what I'm saying. You want to know Jesus. You want to be forgiven. You want a relationship with God. You want his Holy Spirit in your life to lead you and teach you and guide you. And if that's you, uh, I'm going to pray a very simple prayer right now. And it's just a prayer from your heart to God's that, that he would come into your life and take over your life. Um, and if this is the way you, you, you feel today, I just encourage you to pray along with me in your brain as, as, I'm, as I'm praying now. Dear Jesus, I ask you to come into my life. I, I pray that you forgive me for my rebellion against you and making other things my gods. I, I ask you to take away my idols and teach me how to follow you. Send your spirit into my life. I could live with you forever. While our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, if you just prayed that prayer, I would love to share that decision with you. Uh, and so I, I, I would ask you if you do me a favor, if in a few minutes we're going to be taking the morning offering. Inside your program is a little connect card. If you could just write on there, Mike, I made the decision today or I asked Christ in my life, then that will trigger a couple of things. I'll, I'll send you a letter this week with some, some suggested steps in this new journey you're starting with Christ. And, and one of the steps, the most important steps, is to, to be baptized. And we'll, we'll call and talk about that, about see if that's something you'd like to do. If you're serious about following Christ, it's kind of the first step. Oh, our heads are, are bowed still. I want to talk to those of us who are Christ followers. Man, we, we know this. You've been there. I've been there. I've had my idols. You know, you've, you've got yours. We, we understand this whole, the whole thing. And, and if you're here today and you know that there's an idol in your life, that it's just clear. The Holy Spirit's just screaming at you right now that you know what it is, he knows what it is, and it's time for you to lay it down. You know, maybe it's a person, maybe it's a possession, maybe it's a dream, maybe it's a pursuit. I don't know what it is, but there's something in your life that's become the ultimate, that's more important, that has become more important than pleasing Jesus. Uh, if, if that's where it is, I, I just want to ask you right now, just going to give you a moment, the quietness moment, just to lay that idol down and to ask God to forgive you, and, and he would come back in your life and be your ultimate. As our heads are bowed, just in a couple minutes, we're going to be taking our morning offering. But we want to end with uh, some worship. Um, actually, it's a special number. You can just stay seated. Just let it wash over you. But it's a great song called The Motions. It talks about those times in our life where our relationship with God has become stale. And we're still going through the motions, but the passion's gone. We've got other idols in our life. And it's just a prayer that God would release us and restore that passion for him. That he would be our top passion. And so, uh, so I'm going to be praying over the offering. In fact, I ask the ushers to come forward this time. And I'm just going to pray over that offering. And just stay seated uh, as we collect. But just let these words minister to you. Let them be a prayer of your heart as God speaks to you and you speak to God these moments. Father, we, we pray for this, these gifts that we're about to give. God, we give them with grateful hearts for what you've provided. We give them in faith that you will provide. God, we give them with joy. We give, we give us hilarious givers because we're so thankful for what you're, you're doing in our life. We pray you use these gifts to bring many to you, to strengthen the body here, that we would be a place of true worship of the living God that would free up so many people from idols in the coming months and years. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Would you stand with me? I hope you can, enjoy, uh, can join us this Wednesday at Encounter because we're going to be continuing the same vein. Encounter can be sort of a continuation, and you're going to have a chance there to really kind of search your own heart some more about this whole issue of idolatry, lay down our idols. We're going to have a chance to come before God and ask Him to forgive us for making other things our gods.
And then we're going to have the opportunity in a very intentional way to come before God and ask him, now, would you fill us now that we've laid down our idols, now that we've confessed, would you fill us with your Holy Spirit uh, and be our true passion? And it's going to be just a great opportunity as a church to come before him and to seek him together. And so I hope you can join us. Until that time, may the Lord be with you. And may he truly be your greatest passion in life. May you know the freedom for which you were created. And may you know the freedom that only comes as we lay down our idols. God bless you. I'll see you Wednesday. Well, that's going to do it for this week's message. We hope you've enjoyed it as much as we have putting it together. Please visit us at rockypeak.org where you can download more messages or have your questions answered. Remember, you can subscribe to our weekly podcast for free by searching for The Church at Rocky Peak from within the music store in your iTunes software. For Lead Pastor Mike Yearly and everybody up here at The Peak, thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.